1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. We are so glad to have you with us for our Thursday noon session on prayer. And if you're joining us online, be sure to click share, especially on Facebook, be sure to click share. And today we're going to pick up right where we left off yesterday. I do want to review briefly the points that we've covered so far. Number one, we've learned that when we pray, we're to pray according to the Word of God, we're to pray according to the Bible. And so whatever the situation is, whatever the need is, whatever you are praying about, whoever you are praying for, find two or three scriptures that cover the situation. Find two or three scriptures to stand upon. And that's part of how you have confidence when you pray. Number two, when you pray, pray that needs would be met your needs, and the needs of others. And as we've learned this week, it's okay to pray that needs would be met. you got to give up any of the religious prejudices or religious attitudes that it's wrong to pray for things, it's wrong to pray for needs, it's wrong to pray for this or that. Number three, we learned that you can pray with confidence and faith when you know God's will, which is His Word. And someone might say, well, Austin, I don't know about this, or I don't know about healing, or I don't know about God providing for my needs. Well, we do our best on Sundays and Wednesdays, but it doesn't change the fact that in our own lives, we're each responsible. So you've got to get into the Word of God and find out what it says so you know what His will is. Number four, we've learned that you will have whatsoever you say in prayer. Say, whatsoever I say. So we can, of course, pray quietly. We can, of course, whisper. You know, we don't always have to speak uh, like I'm speaking right now. You can, you can whisper, but when you whisper, you're still saying. But as I've mentioned the last two days, our Heavenly Father is not deaf. He's not hard of hearing. And we don't get our way by uh, screaming, by shouting, by acting like, as I mentioned yesterday, by acting like a three-year-old throwing a tantrum. You're not going to get your way doing that. Number five, we learn that you can pray with confidence knowing our Heavenly Father wants to give you good things. Say, good things. He wants to bless you with good things in every area of life. And our Heavenly Father, He will meet you at whatever level you can believe Him at. So you've got to get rid of religious prejudices. You've got to come to the place where you're not ashamed of the blessings of God. You're not hiding the blessings of God, and part of that requires getting past caring what other people think. We live to please God. We live to please God. And if you're living in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, that is honorable to God, and honorable to your family, to your husband and wife, or children, then you don't have to care about what other people think. Because I've noticed the people with a negative opinion or a critical attitude, they they never call up when the TX... TXU bill is due and offer to pay it for you. So they have their opinion, they have their criticism, but they're the very same people that aren't a help, that aren't a blessing, and in your life, they're certainly not helping pay the way. I mentioned in a story yesterday how in seminary I was so grieved and my heart was so hurt when I had lunch with a wonderful professor, a very kind man, but he, he was embarrassed about the car he was driving because he had saved up He and his wife had worked hard. They had put all their children through college. They had just finished paying for their youngest daughter to finish her education at A&M. And so they they had all that overhead gone. And so his idea of splurging was going out and buying a Toyota sedan, loaded, leather, everything. But he was concerned that I would judge him for driving such a nice car. And that, that hurt my heart. Because, of course, our perspective is, if you want the Toyota, God wants you to have the desires of your heart. But if you want to spend just a few thousand dollars more and you want to get the Lexus, God wants you to have the desires of your heart. So you got to get past 
all of this emotional concern about what other people think or what other people are going to say. Jesus said, Matthew 9, 29, according to whose faith? Your faith will it be done unto you. When I was growing up, my father told me the story about a denominational pastor. And what he did, he went and bought two Cadillacs, but he bought them on the same day. He bought the exact same model. He bought the exact same color. And then he finessed the system to where the license plates were nearly identical. And it, it was the game of, well, we'll have two Cadillacs, but people, church people will think we only have one. And it's no joy living life that way, trying to make people happy, trying to keep people happy, trying to please people. You ought to get what you want, drive what you want, wear what you want, as long as it is honorable to the Lord and you have a clear conscience before God. He wants us to have good gifts and good things. Amen? And again, as I said, the best to you might be different than what is the best to me. It is preference because we're all unique in his sight. Kenneth Hagin would tell the story of when, as a traveling minister, he bought his first Cadillac, which he actually bought here in Fort Worth. And as he lift up, lifted up his eyes, he faced opposition. One pastor told him, now, Brother Hagin, I don't think men of God should drive a car like that. And Kenneth Hagin responded, Brother, I won't fall out with you for having Chevrolet faith if you don't fall out with me for having Cadillac faith. So again, God's best in your life might be something different than what God's best is to me, but he wants us to have good things. And he wants us to have the desires of our hearts, whatever they will be. And there's another side to this. As pastor says, we ought not be the faith police. And so God may have brought you to new levels. Well, other people may not be at the same level, but they may be thrilled to have arrived at the level they're at. And so inversely, we ought not be running around, being the faith police, making people feel bad at whatever level they're at. And that's why I'm so careful when I mention this or that or this brand or that brand, because again, I realize everybody is at a different level. It's perspective. And God will meet you at whatever level you can believe him at. So lift up your eyes. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So lift up your eyes. Amen? So we learned, number five yesterday, pray with confidence, knowing our Heavenly Father wants to give you good things. Say good things. Now let's go to new ground, number six. When you face a challenge, pray to obtain your victory. Pray to obtain your victory. Prayer works. I love what Leonard Ravenhill would say. Leonard Ravenhill would tell young ministers, he would say, if you decide to pray, Satan will do everything he can to stop you from praying. You'll, the phone calls will come. And now, that, he, he lived when before we had all this other technology. But he would say, the phone calls will come, people will knock on the door, there'll be this distraction, that distraction. Prayer works. Prayer gets results. When you do it the right way, according to the Word of God, prayer works. Prayer gets results. Prayer has great power. And so Leonard Ravenhill would coach young ministers and say, when you decide to pray, Satan will do everything he can to get you to stop praying. Samuel Chadwick would talk about how Satan doesn't fear all the things we do that have no power, but he fears when we do things that have power. And one of them is prayer. So number six, when you face a challenge, pray to obtain your victory. Now, old-time Pentecostals understood the power and the principle of praying through. Praying through until you obtain the victory. That said... Old-time Pentecostals would also sometimes tarry for things like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, we don't have to tarry or wait on for what has already been given to us. Before the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the disciples tarried. They waited until the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. You read through the book of Acts, there's not a single other example of believers in the book of Acts tearing for the Holy Spirit or waiting to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Like salvation, we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith. So again, there's balance when we don't need to tarry or wait on things that have already been given to us. On the other hand, when there's a challenge, don't, don't just pray and then give up and go on to something else. No, pray through, pray until you obtain the victory. And remember, as I said yesterday, I believe, we ask once, then from that point forward, we believe we receive and thank God. Praising Him, we have the answer. Praising Him, we have the victory. So keep in mind that when there's a challenge, pray until you obtain the victory. And there are times when you must pray through until you obtain your victory. Go over to Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And remember that when Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus responded to those temptations with the word every time. So Jesus was baptized, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he faced his test. So yes, there are challenges to be overcome. Yes, there are temptations to be faced. Yes, there are tests to be passed. Jesus did that, and we're to do the same. He had been baptized, he had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he faced his test. So there are challenges to be overcome. There are temptations to be faced. There are tests to be passed. But that's why we always say a challenge is just another opportunity to prove the Word of God is true. Now, I believe that if you live life God's way, and if you're a doer of the Word, and you line up your life with the Word, you'll have fewer tests and challenges than the, the people living life the world's way, or people living life their way. They're, they're what I call the emergency people. And they're not the people that they have a major prayer request, say, every five or ten years. They got a major prayer request every single week. It's one disaster after another. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're living for the Lord, living the way you should, walking with the Lord in holiness and righteousness, living life His way. There may be a challenge. There may be a difficulty. Not that you have caused but it's simply the result of the world in which we live. Or it's an attack of the enemy. And when there's a challenge, when there's a test, that is just another opportunity to prove the word of God is so. 1 Peter 1 and verse 7 says, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So Peter referred to the trial of our faith. And we, we have been so blessed in America. We have been so blessed to have the religious freedom that we have. But we see examples in the news of Christian business owners facing persecution for their faith, their values. Where we're going to see more of these things in the day ahead, in the days ahead. So when in your life, in any area of life, when there is a challenge, watch what you say. Don't grumble, don't complain. Remind yourself that it is simply another opportunity to prove the Word of God is true. So there may be challenges. There may be tests. There may be battles. But great victories can come out of every battle. If, say if. Great victories can come out of great battles if. Say if. If you don't quit. If you don't give up if you don't throw in the towel. And Satan is a master deceiver. Satan is a master liar. And I'm always mindful of Galatians 6 and verse 9. He is very good at talking people into quitting, giving up, throwing in the towel, taking their life, whatever it is, right before things turn around, right before the miracle comes, right before the harvest, right before the victory. And Galatians 6, 9 tells us that at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if, say if again, if we don't give up. And part of success is just not giving up. Part of success is just not quitting. Part of success is to keep going when uh, you don't want to go anymore. So there may be a battle, but great victories can come out of every battle. And when you know that in the midst of the trouble, 
in the midst of the circumstance, you can shout with joy and you can praise the Lord. So when you face a challenge, pray to obtain the victory. Or as uh, old-time Pentecostals would say, pray through. Turn over to Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, right there in Acts 12, Matthew 20 and verse 23 was fulfilled. Because James had come to Jesus and he told Jesus, I want to partake of the same cup you will partake of. And Jesus said, brother, you don't know what you're asking for. Because the cup Jesus partook of was the cup of suffering and death. As we learned this week, if you want to receive, ask. The caveat I would add is be careful what you ask for. Verse 3, when he saw that this pleased the Jews, King Herod proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting Peter, King Herod put Peter in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Say earnestly praying. That's with passion. That's with great concern, great commitment. It reminds me of when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went through all that he faced on our behalf, they were earnestly praying to God for Peter. Earnestly praying. Passionately praying. Again, not, not shouting or screaming, but passionately praying. What is that? Taking our prayer duty seriously and praying to obtain the victory. Praying through until we get the results we want. So knowing that, Knowing that changes everything. Prayer has great power, and prayer works, and we should take our prayer duty seriously. Know that prayer can change outcomes. Know that prayer can change circumstances. Know that prayer can change the course of events. And as I said a few days ago when I quoted John Wesley, John Wesley was right when he said, it seems as though God is limited by our prayer life that he can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. And remember, we learn, we have not why, because we ask not. And so we got to take our prayer duty seriously. But we can do that knowing it has great power and it gets great results. Acts 12, verse 5. I'll read it out of the King James. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Peter. Prayer was made without ceasing. So they earnestly prayed for Peter, or we could say they passionately prayed for Peter. Or as the King James says, they prayed without ceasing. They prayed without quitting or giving up. They prayed without throwing in the towel. Someone might ask me, they might say, Austin, have you ever been discouraged? Well, we're faith people. So by nature, we're positive. And I'm always mindful of what Robert Schuller once said. Robert Schuller once said that people come to church to get a lift not a load. So they, they don't come to church to hear about the preacher's discouragements. Fred Price once said that he would not dishonor the Lord by rehearsing to people what had happened with this trouble or that trouble or this negative circumstance. So again, prayer works. Prayer has great power. And it's not that there aren't challenges to be overcome. But I believe if you'll live life God's way, you can greatly reduce the number of challenges. Because again, a lot of the trouble people face, it is of their own creation. The things they're doing, the things they have going on in their life, the things they have allowed to go on. But again, if you live life for the Lord wholeheartedly, there may be a challenge simply because of the world in which we live, or it could be an attack of the enemy, but you can get the victory. Pray through, pray to obtain the victory. And as the church prayed for Peter, they prayed without ceasing, without quitting, without giving up or throwing in the towel. They prayed to obtain the victory. They earnestly prayed without quitting. So when you face a challenge, pray to obtain the victory. Acts 16 and verse 25. And of course, Acts 12, you read on, Peter was released. And uh, when he came and knocked on the door, the young teenage girl that 
opened the door. She didn't think it was him. She thought someone was playing a prank or she was saying things or she was dreaming. So they got their answer. Look over at Acts chapter 16, verse 5. About midnight, and this is when Paul and Silas had been arrested, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So they were praying and singing hymns unto God. They, the King James says they sang praises unto God. And if we're honest, when there's a challenge, when there's a difficulty, when there's a circumstance, when there's bad news of some kind, we don't feel like praising the Lord. We don't feel like rejoicing. But those are precisely the moments in life when you should pray to obtain your victory and you should praise God in faith. And we don't thank God for the situation. We thank God in the midst of the situation. So they were praying and singing hymns to God. So in the midnight hour, in the midst of this challenge, this difficulty, they were praying and singing praises to God. Philippians 4 and verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. Say anything. So this is true of the small things. This is true of the big things. And this is a real discipline. Do not be anxious about anything. But in how many things? Just the things that are really important. And how many things? Just the things we care most about. What, what things? Just the big things. No, in everything. By prayer and petition. Or the King James says prayer with petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So not with grumbling, not with complaining, not with having a bad attitude, not with saying, woe is me. And again, that may make you feel better. You know, if you're blue about something and you have a pepperoni pizza with ice cream afterwards, it makes you feel better, I'll be honest. And it's, it's a lot easier to go to sleep. You know, if you're in bed worrying about something, it's nothing that a quick run down the road to Whataburger can't fix. And again, it may make you feel better, but it doesn't change the circumstance. And I know, talking about it, rehearsing about it, telling your spouse until they, they, they cry too, I mean, it makes us feel better. But that's not how we obtain the victory. We obtain the victory by praying. And going to our Heavenly Father. And that's what Paul and Silas did. They were in a lousy circumstance, but they were praying and singing hymns unto God. Do not be anxious about anything. Say anything. But in everything. Say in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Say with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. So that's how we're to approach our Heavenly Father. In everything. Paul did not say for everything. He said, in everything. God does not cause all things. And one of the saddest things is people attributing the works of Satan to God. You know, in the insurance industry, they call it acts of God. Well, it's not our heavenly father. It's Satan, the little G-O-D of this world. So we don't attribute everything to God. Our heavenly father is good. As we saw yesterday in James, every good and perfect gift is from above, from our Heavenly Father. So Paul did not say for everything. He said in everything. How? By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Tell your neighbor, say, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Tell your other neighbor, say, with thanksgiving. with thanksgiving. So you may not feel like it, but you got to put on your happy face. Amen. And start praising the Lord. And we could have Aaron come talk to us. You know, not all worship music is uh, with thanksgiving. So you got to get some old-fashioned gospel praise and worship that is full of the attitude of with thanksgiving and praise the Lord. You know, one of our favorites is look what the Lord has done. Ray Jean Wilson, a friend of ours, he pastors now in California. He just redid a new album of all of his classics. It's great. The children love it. And someone might say, Austin, none of this is cool in terms of what's cool in 2021. But again... If you want the victory, you've got to praise the Lord and pray to the Lord with an attitude of thanksgiving. Look over at 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. Some translations say that he may lift you up in season or in due time. So the harvest is coming. 
If you're in the house of the Lord, you know, you're here on Thursday, the noon session, your, your harvest is on the way. Your answer is on the way. Your miracle is on the way. Your, your due time, your due season is coming. But again, don't listen to the voice of the enemy because he'll have you quit or throw in the towel just before the harvest comes. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you or lift you up in due time. Verse 7, casting all your care. How many? Just the ones we want to give up. Just the ones we're willing to let it go. How many of our cares? All. Every one of them. No matter how much we don't want to give it up. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So the Lord careth. Smile at your neighbor and say, the Lord careth. Smile at your other neighbor and say, the Lord careth. Now, other people may not, but the Lord careth. Other people may let you down, but the Lord careth. Other people may miss your birthday or birthday party, but the Lord careth. Other people may disappoint you, but the Lord careth. Other people may not be there when you need them the most, but the Lord careth. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time or season, casting all. How many? All your care upon him, for he careth for you. You go back to Matthew 6. Jesus said again and again, do not worry. So we have to remind ourselves of that. And then go to Philippians 4, 6, in everything. Say, in everything. By prayer and petition. Say, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So in everything, with thanksgiving. In everything, with thanksgiving. And again, this is why we walk by faith and not by sight. Because we don't always feel like praying that way. We don't always feel like coming to church that way. We don't always feel like worshiping the Lord that way. But that's why you got to set the feelings aside and remind yourself of the, what the Word says and remind yourself we're walking by faith and not by sight. We're walking by the Word and not by sight. So no matter how we feel in everything with thanksgiving, we're going to present our requests unto God. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray through to obtain the victory. Now let's go to point number seven. To have an effective prayer life, you've got to get rid of unbelief. To have an effective prayer life, you've got to get rid of unbelief. Jesus, as I said yesterday, often healed all. He often healed every disease and sickness. But there were exceptions, not due to the will of God, but due to unbelief. Turn over to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6 beginning in verse 5. And I'm going to read it out of the King James. It says, And Jesus could do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. So in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus could do no mighty works except heal a few sick people. I've always imagined that maybe somebody with a headache got healed that day. It was his hometown. Many knew Jesus from his childhood days. Many knew him before he was baptized and filled with the Spirit. Many had known him since before he began his public ministry. They knew him, or they thought they did. They were familiar, and that's the biblical word to use here. They were familiar with him, and so they dishonored him. They dishonored the Son of God. And because they dishonored him and disrespected him, they failed to receive what God had for them. I'm going to read it out of the NIV, going back up to verse 1. Mark 6, verse 1, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. So instead of having receptive hearts and receptive ears, they took offense at him because they were familiar with him. He had grown up in Nazareth. They knew him before he was baptized and filled with the Spirit. They knew him from before he began his public ministry. They were familiar with him. And so they took offense at him. Verse 4, Jesus said only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor 
and he could not do any miracles there because it was not the will of God. Is that what it says? He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Or as the King James says, he was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now if I said, or if I put on Facebook, there are some people even Jesus can't help, I would have people upset at me. If I put on Facebook or on Instagram, today's Insta update, there are some people that even Jesus can't help. I would have people upset with me, but that is a biblically true statement. And why are there some people that Jesus, can, that Jesus himself cannot help? It is because of their lack of faith. It is because of their unbelief. He was there. He was there in the flesh, and he could do no mighty miracles there except heal a few. Why? Because of their unbelief or lack of faith. He could do no mighty works. And he marveled. He marveled because of their unbelief. Unbelief will hinder you from receiving all that God has for you. Unbelief will hinder you from walking in God's best. Unbelief will hinder your prayer life. Unbelief will hinder your prayer life being effective. So you got to get the unbelief out of your heart. And it, you only do that by filling your heart with the Word of God. Look over at Mark 11, beginning in verse 23. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Say, say, and does not doubt in his heart. Now, we all have doubts here all the time. The issue is what's going on in our heart. And that's why we got to make sure our heart is right, and our heart is full of faith. And when we talk about the heart, we're talking about your spirit man, the real you on the inside of you, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. But what if you doubt in your heart when you pray? Well, if you doubt in your heart when you pray, it will not be done for you. Again, look at verse 23. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. But again, what if when you speak or confess, you doubt in your heart? What if when you pray, you doubt in your heart? It will not be done for you. Look at verse 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you have asked for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. But what if you don't believe you receive when you pray? Well, then it won't be yours. What if you don't believe you receive in your heart or spirit man when you pray? Well, then it won't be yours. Kenneth Hagin would sometimes say, faith will work in your heart when there's doubt in your head, but faith will not work when there is doubt and unbelief in your heart. Faith will not work when there is doubt and unbelief in your heart. So you've got to get the doubt and the unbelief and the negativity out of your spirit man, out of your heart, and out of your life. There are times when we do pray in faith, not doubting in our hearts, but then sometimes later we open our big mouths and we nullify our faith or prayer with a negative confession. And that's why we're learning this week, the evening services, to watch what we say, to watch our mouth, to watch our confession. So you can pray in faith, full of faith in your heart, doubting in your head, and faith, and praying in faith, or speaking in faith, it'll still work. But when there is doubt and unbelief in your heart, that is a problem that has to be fixed, corrected, and addressed. When Jesus marveled at the unbelief in his hometown, what was his solution? He marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around laying hands on everyone. Is that what it says? Mark 6 and verse 6, he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around laying hands on people, casting the unbelief out like a devil. Is that what it says? What was Jesus' solution for unbelief? He went around teaching. See, the only answer, the only cure for unbelief is hearing what the Word of God says. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But see, not everybody wants the right and biblical solution. 
They, 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 they don't want to be a doer of the word. They don't want to pray during the week. They don't want to crack a Bible open. They don't want to be faithful or consistent in church, but they have their list of problems, and they want pastor and I to lay hands on them to fix it all. And laying on of hands has a purpose. There is power and anointing transferred for the healing of the sick. But uh, laying on of hands cannot fix unbelief in your heart. Someone can only fix unbelief in their heart by being taught and by being taught what the Word of God says. What is the cure for unbelief? It is men and women being taught the Word of God. Jesus went round about the villages doing what? Teaching. This is why in Matthew 28, Jesus told us to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. But where do pastor and I face the most resistance or the most opposition? It is on this thing of action and teaching people to be doers of the Word of God. But friends, that's where the victory is. That's where the answered prayer is. That's where the blessing is. That's where the, the good fruit of the Word is. You know, it's amazing some of the ridiculous things that have been shared online in the last year. You know, there were even people talking about how angels from certain continents are more powerful than other angels. It's completely stupid. Made up, thank you, Pastor Sue. Pastor Sue said that if any, it offends anybody. <laughs> it is living your life by the word, taking action on the word, being a doer of the word that changes circumstances for the better. And again, we might get together and say, all right, we're all going to shout and scream at one time. <laughs> but that's not how prayer works. And of course, when they marched around Jericho, they let out a shout of victory but that's different than shouting and screaming and getting yourself all worked up into a frenzy with the idea that, it, well, if I can sweat more, I'm going to get my answer. But that's not how prayer works. And that's not how faith works. Jesus went round about the villages doing what? Teaching. It's knowing what the Word says and taking action on the Word and doing the Word and praying based upon the Word that brings the victory. As we learned this week, God's people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. So the cure is God's people being taught. But how can God's people be taught if they're not present? How can God's people be taught if they're absent? How can God's people be taught if they don't have ears to hear? Faith, as it says in Romans 10, 17, comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Let's go over to Hebrews, and I would encourage you to read Hebrews, the entire epistle of Hebrews in your devotional time, study time. Hebrews helps us to really understand who we are in Christ, what the new covenant is all about, and also what God expects of us. The wilderness generation that Moses led out of Egypt, they missed out on the promises and rest of God in this life and in eternity because of sin disobedience, rebellion, and unbelief. Hebrews 3, beginning in verse 7, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and said, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. What kind of heart? Sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As just has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And whom did God swear that they would never? Say never. never. And guess what never means? Never. You've done messed up. You've done gone too far. It's like when mom says, that's it. You're getting a whooping now. Never enter his rest, 
To whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of what? Their unbelief. And the author of Hebrews uses these four things as synonyms. Sin, disobedience, rebellion, and unbelief. And somebody might say, oh, Austin, I'm full of faith. I've got no unbelief. Well, if there's disobedience in any part of your life, there is unbelief. These are synonyms. God sees them all the same way. Sin, disobedience, rebellion, and unbelief. The children of Israel, that wilderness generation Moses led out of Egypt, they failed to enter the promised land. And they're in hell right now because of their unbelief. They failed to enter the promised land. And they're in hell right now because of their unbelief. They failed to walk in God's best. Why? Because it was God's will that they stay over there and not enter the promised land. Why did they fail to walk in God's best? Because of unbelief. They failed to please God because of unbelief. So they missed out because of sin, disobedience, rebellion, and unbelief. So in your life, you got to get the unbelief out. And if you want your prayer life to work and your prayer life to be effective, you got to get unbelief out of your heart, out of your spirit man. Look over at Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful, which means we have to be careful. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest. We could read verse 2 this way. The message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with action. Or the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with taking action on the word of God. So you got to take action. And it's not just taking any action. You got to take the right action. Because somebody could say after this week, well, Austin, I know what you said about praying to the Father in the name of Jesus, but I'm still just going to pray to Jesus when I pray over my food, and, and I'm going to start out every prayer, dear Jesus. Well, God bless you, but you're not going to get results doing that. And you better hope the cook washed his hands before he prepared your food. We are to pray to the Father in whose name? His name. And so if we want the Word and God's best to be of value to us, we have to combine it with faith, or as Pastor would say, as James says, we have to combine it with action and taking action on the Word of God. So today, believers miss out on God's best and His blessings because of unbelief. Unbelief through ignorance of God's Word and His promises, or through unbelief that is willful. They know what the Word says, but they don't want to believe it or take action on it. Look over at James 1, beginning in verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. And again, you, you can doubt here. The issue is believing here. You can doubt here. The issue is not doubting where? In your heart and in your spirit man. And the only biblical cure for unbelief is getting the Word of God in your heart, which means you got to be in church, you got to be hearing the Word of God, and then not, Sunday or Wednesday is not enough. During the week, we've got to be spending time in the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We've got to get it in our heart. Verse 6, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And this is why, I know, I know, I know, I know. You know, what, what were we doing two years ago? What were we doing last year? What are we doing this year? We're just teaching the Bible. And I know that may not be as exciting as other things, but it's what works. It's what has power. It's what gets results. And I know there are people, and they're like waves being tossed by the sea, and they're into this fad and they're into that fad, and they're into this exciting thing, and they're listening to the purple-haired or pink-haired prophetess today and the orange-haired prophetess tomorrow doing, doing this and doing that, and, you know, they got their, their Jewish horn, they're blowing, or, they're, you know, they're dressed Jewish one week and something different the next. They're doing all that they're doing. But if you look at their life and you look at their circumstances, there's no victory. 
There's no progress. There's no answers. They're not the people sending in testimonies. And you look at their life five years later and ten years later. There, there's no progress. There's no answer. There no, there's no victory. Why? Because they're like a wave of the sea tossed by the wind. Verse 7. That man or woman should not think he will receive anything. Say anything. anything. So if you pray or say, believing but doubting, doubting in your heart, you're not going to receive anything from the Lord. You got to get the unbelief out of your heart. You got to get the unbelief out of your spirit man. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And again, that's why I said, I know consistent is not exciting. I know doing it the way it's always been done is not exciting. But it works. And it's what gets results. So the person that doesn't receive anything from the Lord, they're also the double-minded person. They're into this thing this week, something else next week. Unstable in all he does. So don't be double-minded. Don't be unstable. Stop being inconsistent in your walk with God. Stop being inconsistent in your prayer life. In the days we're living in, it's time to be all in. In the days we're living in, it's time to be wholly committed. And that includes in your prayer life. Look over at 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9. I'm going to read it first out of the King James. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect. Say perfect toward him. So we've all got things to work on. Amen? We've all got things to work on having to do with the heart. The NIV says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. All in. Fully committed. All in. Fully committed. So don't be double-minded. Don't be unstable. Because when there, there's someone and they're into this fad or that fad or they're double-minded and they're unstable, that's an indication of their unbelief. And it's an indication of a person who doesn't know what they really believe. One sign of unbelief is inaction or no action. Another sign of unbelief is contrary action or action contrary to the Word of God. So number seven, you've got to get rid of unbelief. When you say and when you pray, believe and do not doubt. When you pray, believe and do not doubt. You may doubt in your mind. The issue is not doubting in your heart. The issue is getting the doubt and the unbelief out of your heart. When you stand upon God's word, believe and do not doubt. Get rid of the unbelief. And we do that through finding out what the word of God says. We do that through hearing what the word of God says. And again, on any issue in the word, if we're ignorant, if we don't know what the Word says, we're responsible. And we have all of this technology, all of these resources available to us, so there's no excuse for being ignorant. There's no excuse for not being knowledgeable. So you got to get in the Word and find out what it says. you got to, number seven, get rid of the unbelief. And how do you do that? By hearing the Word by studying and meditating upon the Word to find out what it says, and then by taking action on the Word. And in our prayer lives, we're to take action on the Word by praying the way Jesus taught, by praying the way the Apostle Paul taught, by praying according to the Word of God. Now, for just a little bit, I'm going to go on to point number eight, and then we'll have to pick up with point number eight tomorrow. Point number eight, pray faithfully, Pray consistently, but do not seek experiences in prayer. Pray faithfully, pray consistently, but do not seek experiences in prayer. If you honestly study the lives of Abraham, Moses, and Paul, occasionally or rarely they had an experience. But in the lives of great men and women of faith in the Bible, experiences did not happen every day. They were rare. Abraham lived 175 years. Of those 175 years, he walked with God for 100 years. Over the course of 100 years, God spoke to Abraham occasionally. After he first called Abraham in Genesis 12, God did not speak to Abraham again until after Abraham separated from Lot. Over the course of his lifetime, 
over the course of his lifetime, which he lived 175 years. He walked with the Lord 100 years. Abraham had one vision, and God appeared to him four times. And I'm not counting Melchizedek, because the Bible treats Melchizedek as a historical person. In addition to these encounters, God spoke to Abraham several other times. But again, that's over the course of how many years? A century. A century. And I know when you're, you're reading through Genesis about Abraham, it's easy to come to the conclusion, man, every time Abraham turned around, the Lord was showing up. Well, friends, we have something Abraham didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit. He is here. He is with us. We have the baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We have the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And we can be led by him every single day. Romans 8.14 says those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So pray faithfully and consistently, but do not seek experiences in prayer. Moses was tending flocks when he saw the burning bush. Moses was not doing anything super spiritual when he saw the burning bush. He was tending flocks. That is a dirty, smelly business. And Moses did not have deodorant. It was a dirty, smelly business. He was busy doing what when he saw the burning bush? He was busy working. Now, as I say that, I would say work is spiritual. Going to work, providing for your family, it's spiritual. There are people, and they're doing all sorts of things they think are spiritual. They're not spiritual. Going to work, providing for your family is spiritual. But you understand what I'm trying to communicate. Moses was not doing anything, quote, unquote, super spiritual when he saw the burning bush. He was a part of the tribe. He was a descendant of Abraham. But uh, he was probably not dressed up like a Jewish rabbi on the day he saw the burning bush. He was probably didn't have flag banners and dancing around the mountain when he saw the burning bush. What was he doing on the day he saw the burning bush? Was he dancing around with flag banners and a tambourine? What was he doing? He was working when God interrupted his life to use him. Pray faithfully and consistently, but do not seek experiences in prayer. After his conversion on the road to Damascus, Paul served in Christian ministry for about 30 years. Not counting his conversion on the road to Damascus, when he saw and heard the risen, resurrected Christ, Paul had at least two visions. Luke mentions one. Paul refers to the other in the third person, which tells us that the Apostle Paul was even reluctant to tell people about it. And this is why some of this, and part of the problem with social media is it has made distractions and nonsense more widely and readily available. You know what I do? I look people up on Google Earth. When I see some crazy thing on Facebook, I look it up on Google Earth or satellite view. And if they're in their, their house or they're in a strip shopping mall, plaza somewhere, I have no interest. Jesus said we're to evaluate a tree by its fruits. Look over at 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 2. I know a man. So Paul, Paul didn't want to refer to himself. I know a man. He's speaking of himself in the third person. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. And he heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. So he, he would not have done a Facebook Live the next day to talk about it. I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain. What does he say? I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say, or I do, or say. I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do, or say. What humility by the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament. 
If you honestly study the lives of Abraham, Moses, and Paul, and others, occasionally or rarely they had an experience, but they were rare. This is what E.W. Kenyon wrote on the danger of seeking experiences. Faith in our experiences is not always faith in the Word. Faith in what I have seen or heard is not always faith in the Word. Practically all religious experiences are the products of the physical senses. It is something felt or heard or seen. Sense experience always leaves one empty when the experience grows old. Seeking experiences is always dangerous. Say dangerous. For it is trusting in the arm of the flesh rather than in the word. Because experiences are always connected with the senses. Sense experiences are fascinating to a soul hungry man. They attract the curious. They are always in the realm where most folks live. One of the unfortunate things about seeking experiences is that those who seek experiences, they are in the realm that is governed by evil spirits. For Satan rules most people's bodies, the home of practically all of our experiences. That is the reason so many have lost their minds. For when people seek experiences for a long time, demons often take advantage and become their helpers. They are not wrestling with God. It is not the word. They struggle with themselves to get their senses to function. Sense experiences are always based on sense, knowledge, faith. We should always remember that sense knowledge will always fail us in a crisis. And you will notice that the people who are depending upon experiences are ever seeking to have the experience repeated. They believe in experiences because they live in the realm of the senses. They never believe the word. They assent to it or they hope in it but experienced sinkers are always unstable in their faith. The Word of God does not carry as much authority as the Word of the person who has the experience. See, for two years, three years, four years, my father and I were saying, idolatry is a bad thing. The Bible warns about idolatry. But what were people, what was the, what were people doing? Idolatry, 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 and to justify it. They were saying, the Lord told me this and the Lord told me that. Whereas old-fashioned Pastor Gene, Dr. Austin, we're over here. Well, what does the Word say? Word says, have no idols, things or people. Experienced seekers are always unstable in their faith. The Word of God does not carry as much authority as the Word of the person who has the experience. These people are ever seeking faith. They have continual war with doubts and fears and discouragements. They will always tell you that they are having a hard battle with the adversary. Many of these people have rented a place at the altar. They are perpetual seekers who long for experience or power. They are seeking their healing, not knowing the Father has already laid their diseases on Jesus. They are walking in the realm of the senses. Their teachers are sense-knowledge-taught people. They believe much about the Word but they do not believe the Bible itself. They act on the word of man, and it breaks under them. They read much about the Bible and about experiences, but they never study the word of God carefully and systematically. As James says, consequently, they are unstable and double-minded. They are like people who take dope or liquor. They are drunk with the senses. If they could only know the sure word, the unbroken word, the living word, the life-giving word, the all-satisfying word, and would give up their quest for experiences and let the word of God satisfy them. Friends, let the word of God satisfy you. And listen, there are times praying and you sense or feel the presence of the Lord. It's wonderful. But there are days, if we're honest, if you pray daily and you pray faithfully, and you pray consistently, if you're honest, you would say, I don't feel like praying today. I'm too tired to pray today. You know, and you're grumpy about this, and you're grumpy about that, or, or like us, you're just trying to have a cup of, cup of coffee. And then you step on something, and then you're trying not to say something you shouldn't because somebody left a Lego out or whatever it is, and you don't feel spiritual at all. We don't walk by how we feel. We walk by faith. We walk by the word. And God can give someone an experience, but we don't pray seeking those things out. We pray faithfully. 
We pray consistently. We pray according to the word day after day after day after day, no matter how we feel, no matter how we feel until we go to be with the Lord in his presence. So pray faithfully, pray consistently, but do not seek out experiences in prayer. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.